to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Thank you, Taryn, for that uh, for that introduction, and and thanks for allowing us to do this this live version of the COO Roundtable. We're gonna go we're gonna banter back and forth a little bit, and then like we would normally on the podcast, and then I think we're gonna open it up to questions. I think Taryn, you're you're monitoring those for us, so we'll open it up for questions near near at the end. For those of you aren't, that aren't familiar, as as, as Taryn said, we've been doing this podcast for about two years. Um, I interviewed two operations professionals. They don't always have the COO title today. They, they both do, but, uh, we discussed concept, the concept of professional management at, at RIAs. I believe there's a, there's a big gap, uh, in our industry when it comes to the business side of our organizations, uh, even RIAs that have reached that elusive $1 billion mark many times at their core, they're simply four or five advisors that are running in, in different directions. <laughs> they're, they're under one common logo, but they're really going off in, in, in different directions. Um, when advisors leave the, the wirehouse or the IBD channel to start RIAs, I think they often struggle with making that mental shift from I'm a financial advisor to now I'm the owner of a financial advisory business. And even when we speak to RIAs that are 15 or 20 years old, you can a lot of times get the sense that that owner really is identifying as a financial advisor first and a business owner is a business owner second. And that's fine. Uh, they, they should solely be focused on clients and prospects. That really is the best use of their time. But in order to do that successfully, they need to commit to bringing on professional management, whether it's the, the specific COO title or, or an, a director of operations, whatever title they want to give the person. So our, our podcast is dedicated to highlighting RIA executives are fulfilling that role and are in charge of running the business rather than, than bringing on clients. And uh, we, have, we have two such professionals today, Sarah Armstrong, the COO of CapSouth Wealth Management in Alabama. And uh, Kara is joined by Mick, Nick Majuli, COO of Ritholtz Wealth Management, headquartered in New York. So welcome, uh, Kara and Nick. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be Thanks, here. Matt. Awesome. Uh, if, we were, if we were doing this normally as a podcast, I wouldn't even bring it up. But since we're on video, I wanted to, it was just so funny to me. Nick is the only person that's ever sent fan mail. <laughs> Uh, uh, he was kind enough to reach out to me and he said, you know, Matt, you're kind of a weird dude. <laughs> you talk about Eddie Van Halen a lot on a COO, uh, podcast <laughs> and he was kind enough. He sent me, uh, if I can show it here, he sent me a replica of Eddie's guitar. <laughs> um, so if any of you want to get via, via podcast, uh, uh, guest, <laughs> we are taking fan mail. <laughs> But um, let's get down to business here. Kara, I'm going to go to you first. Um, can you tell us a little bit about CapSouth Wealth Management? Sure. So CapSouth was founded in 2001 here in Dothan, Alabama by Donald Bolden, our CEO. Um, he'd worked at Merrill Lynch for a little while, but he's really an entrepreneur at heart. So after about seven years there, he decided it was time to just set out again, and he founded CapSouth. Um, his son joined him briefly after that and went, got his CFA. Um, we're about 650 million assets and under management, serving around 400 clients and 30 of which are retirement plans. Um, as far as employees, we have around 21 employees in two offices in Alabama and Georgia. Up to this point, it's all been 100% organic growth, um, but we're actually looking to expand through M&A into the future. We've kind of changed our structure and kind of set up for that. And in fact, that's one of the reasons we are so heavily staffed for our size is we're not looking to staff so much for where we are right now, but looking into the future, into our vision and staffing for that so that we're ready to, to grow into that vision. Um, we have always been planning focused, though in the last five to 10 years or so, I'd say we really had a heavily 
planning focus more on like estate and tax planning, just a really heavy focus on that. So um, we also offer corporate trustee services as well as retirement plan services. I should also mention that we are FinLife partners with United Capital Goldman Sachs. We were actually the very first FinLife partners back in 2016. So we helped them kind of develop that path and um, it's really been a great relationship. It's grown a lot over the last five years. It kind of gives us as a smaller company the resources that we don't have, but we are able to leverage their portfolios and their technology and just things that we wouldn't be able to build on our own. But we leverage those, but we maintain all of our ownership and all of our own decisions. So it's been a great relationship. Um, we're looking to leverage it more into the future as we hope to grow, like I said, through more M&A. That's perfect. We're, we're obviously going to we're going to touch on a lot of what you just talked about. We'll talk about technology, scalability, HR and, and, and managing the, the, the people and everything. So we're going to hit on a lot of the things you just brought up. But but first, we'll, we'll throw it to Nick. A lot of people know the Ritholtz uh, uh, Wealth Management name, but can you tell us a little bit about the firm? Yeah, so the firm was founded in 2013. We're headquartered in New York City. Currently, we have about 33 employees. We're going to be adding two more at the end of this month. Um, and we have a, a little under $2 billion in assets under management. And uh, that's mostly been basically all organic. Like we don't acquire firms or anything like that. We do aqua hires. So that's about 30% of our total assets that come from, you know, advisors joining us. Um, but we don't buy books uh, straight up. And then the other 70% has been organic. I would say about 10% of that is um, referrals, but that's really picked up more in the last couple of years. Um, as we've kind of, we've only been around since 2013. So referrals are something that, you know, as you get a track record, people, you know, clients start to talk about you. But as I said, about 60% is going to be from something I just call content marketing. So if you guys know anything about Ritholtz, we are, uh, we have a bunch of bloggers. I'm actually a blogger as well. So I'm going to see, we'll get to that in a second, but um, we have a bunch of bloggers, we have podcasters, we have, we have a YouTube channel with almost 70,000 subscribers now. Uh, our CEO, Josh Brown, he's on CNBC a couple times a week. You may have seen him on there, but all of us are just, you know, out there doing content marketing and that's how all the, the leads have come to us that way. Um, so our, our ideal client is probably in, you know, the three to $7 million range. It's been our, our go-to for a long time, but now we're starting to expand, you know, our services we offer. So we're actually going to be, this is still not public yet, but we're going to be launching a high net worth group in the future. And in addition, we're also spending a lot more time this year focusing on our, you know, we have a robo platform with, it's a partnership with Betterment. So it gives a Betterment for advisors. Um, we have something called Liftoff. That's that's a robo platform. And so we're also focusing on that. So though typically we've really been in the, you know, three to $7 million clients been our bread and butter. We're really starting to expand into a lot more high net worth clients and also um, clients on the robo platform. So that's kind of like our main thing. And in terms of how we're going to grow going forward, it's just more the same, really more content marketing or just putting our message out there and finding people that it resonates with, right? So we don't pay for leads or any of that. They all come to us. So that's what, that's kind of the one nice thing about being here and why I think advisors have joined us because they don't want to be on the phones all day calling and all that stuff. They just, you know, the leads come to us and say, Hey, I like Josh or I like Barry or Nick or whoever it is. And then, you know, we, we talk to them about managing their money and if, if there's a good mutual fit, we move forward. So that's kind of, that's what we do. Perfect. And then, so that's, that's the firm level. Now let's talk about you guys individually. So Kara, I'll go to you first. You, you, um, you came into this COO position through the CFO route, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, today you're the only female and the only non-family member on the firm's board of directors, which is also interesting. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey, journey and how you became the COO at CapSelf. Sure. So um, I do realize that the finance route is somewhat of a strange route to get to COO, but um, it's actually it's the reason I'm at CapSouth. 
Um, prior to CapSouth, I'd been in accounting at a government contractor and, and for a number of years, and they moved their headquarters right around the time I had my first child. And um, I knew I wanted to get back into the workforce, and I knew it was not made to be a stay-at-home mom. So I started looking, and CapSouth was looking for a part-time bookkeeper. So I started part-time bookkeeping, a little bit of HR. It wasn't anything fancy, but um, it didn't really take long to get involved in a lot of other aspects of the business. It was kind of, um, I think, Matt, you've mentioned a lot that, you know, raise hand mentality. So I had a lot of that of just being interested in the different parts of the business and pulled into all different areas. Um, but I think it really was key to my growth at Cat South. So as I got pulled into all these different areas of business, um, none of it was a career path at all. <laughs> Looking back, um, I can see though how it was kind of preparation for where I am today. Being able to touch all those different pieces helps me understand the business better and to do my job better, to be honest. Um, and, and really none of it actually came with a title, to be quite honest there too. Um, I think it was at one point, I remember emailing a client and I was talking about their documents and their accounts and realized that why in the world is the bookkeeper emailing about this? And so I went to my supervisor and said, can we at least append my title with something else, bookkeeper and, because this just doesn't really make sense. Um, I think at that point we landed on something like um, assistant vice president because nothing else really fit. Um, so it was actually around that time in 2015 when I began attending board meetings and there again it was the finance route that led me to that. Um, I was there just to present financials at first. So I joined the board meetings. I would present the financials and kind of sit around and listen and kind of got an inside seat into what was going on. Um, but I, I do believe that it was it was my um, job with the finances that really gave me that sense of ownership because I was in charge of the books and presenting those financials. I had a sense of ownership that I wouldn't have had elsewhere. And um, I kind of actually strongly believe in replicating that through other employees, trying to give them something as that they have ownership. It's not just a job, but they ultimately want the company to be successful. So they, they want to contribute to that. Um, so back to the board member. So I was sitting in on board meetings and... Um, eventually, they just kind of started asking my opinion and um, allowing me in and kind of accepting me as one of the board. And um, then they began to actually was named as one of the board members of the treasurer at one point. And so, as like I said, it was uh, the father, his son and his son-in-law were the board members. So as I joined, I was an outside member. Um, but I kind of grew into, as I became a full-fledged member, as a mediator as well into their um, family relationships. And I was able to stand in the gap. When it came to those relationships. Uh, Capsule, who've always said family really absolutely comes first, and that includes their family. So I'm, I'm really actually thankful for the opportunity that it's given me because um, they give, gave me this opportunity and invited me to be a part of the board. And now I'm a full-fledged with a voice on the board, um, but I can kind of pay them back by being a buffer in those family relationships and helping them to keep peace in, in that. Um, but let me backtrack for a second to get where I got into operations. So in 2016, uh, we had a chief compliance officer and director of operations who uh, resigned. So the leadership came to me and asked if I would like to take on compliance. And that was a hard no. I have no interest in compliance and never will. So they then came back and said, well, what about operations? And so I thought, well, hey, that sounds interesting. Why not? Um, that led to a period where I knew I wanted to do it well. I wanted to do this operations well. I just didn't know what it was. It was just this big concept. So I did what every intelligent business person does. I Googled RIA operations. Um, but still at that point, I didn't know what my ultimate career path was. There was, uh, there was the CFO route and the COO route were both kind of in front of me and I didn't know what I wanted. Um, 
but as I learned more about operations, it just, I realized it was way more exciting than finance and maybe not everyone would agree, but <laughs> I think the operational part of it is just more exciting. So after a lot of internal debates, I had one conversation with um, Heather, Heather Fortner of Signature FD and she might not even remember this, but it was a phone conversation where she told me, you know, forget where you've been and what you've done and what's been laid out in front of you. What do you want to be and what do you want to do and just go after it. So I did. Um, I, it was in my next annual review that I told the CEO and the then COO that within three to five years I wanted that role. I knew that eventually that COO would be stepping up into his father's role and when there was a vacancy I wanted to be ready to take it. Um, so it was actually one year from that day um, that I was named COO at Cat South. That's awesome. You, you mentioned, you know, raising your hand. Uh, my official answer when people say, well, what does a COO do? I, the official answer is the COO takes the owner's vision and executes that vision through both people and technology. That's my official answer. But the, the, the real answer is just the COO does everything else that's not getting done, just pretty much anything. So that's how a lot of people have gotten to this role is you just raise your hand and say, I can handle that. Oh, this isn't getting done. This isn't getting done. Um, we've had many COOs on, um, Gary Bonner said, I've hung every picture in this office over 20 years. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm chief operating officer, but one of my tasks has been hang all the pictures <laughs> and others have said, oh, I water the plants. Like I go around and, you know, in my COO days, I was uh, in charge of one of the many things I was in charge of is I was always in charge of the toner. <laughs> I was always afraid that uh, the, the biggest client would be coming into a meeting and we would have forgotten to replace the toner. So I was always like, somebody's got to be taking care of the toner in the, in the printer. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. So um, I love that. Yeah, it, it is. It's all about raising your hand. So Nick, you mentioned your blog and you've also had an interesting kind of evolution uh, to come to the COO position. Um, you actually started as a data or you still are a data scientist. So tell us that story and, and how you wound up in your COO position today. Yeah, so it's a, it's a different uh, pathway than I think most other COOs. But I so I graduated with an economics degree and right after college, I worked in an industry called like economics consulting or more probably more popularly known as litigation consulting. So working for a lot of, you know, big law firms. And I really wanted to focus on my technical skills, you know, doing a lot more quantitative work. And so um, while I was there for the first couple of years, I was mostly an analyst. And then eventually they actually opened a, a data group. And that's kind of how I became a data scientist. I just focused on programming, you know, learning a lot more tools and things like that. And I liked the job. It was great and everything, but I just didn't think the industry was right for me. I didn't want to stay in litigation consulting forever. I mean, you know, it's like you're working like a lawyer. So it's like legal hours type thing. So it's a lot of billable work. Uh, you know, so I was like, hey, you know, I really like finance. So I started blogging, doing all that. And actually caught the attention of some of my now colleagues who said, oh, wow, you're blogging everything. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, do you want to be an analyst? I'm like, not really. It's not really my thing. And they're like, well, we do have a lot of data. We don't know what to do with it. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like, cause that's like my job. So like I could be a data scientist for you guys, you know? And so like, okay, you can come on board. And so it, obviously it was, a, it was a big, I think they thought it was a big risk at the time because you know, how many RIAs have a data scientist? Like practically zero, right? Very few. So especially if their size, they're not even a billion yet. So they brought me on. I've been, you know, analyzing data ever since, right? And you can think about, you know, all the data that happens, you know, within an RIA. So for us, it's like, you know, we have our, our blogs. So we have how many page views we're getting. We're tracking that all the time, stuff like that. How the types of content we put out, what's working, what's not working, et cetera. You have leads coming in from that, right? Then you have the whole sales process or the funnel. So you have all your CRM data in our case, it's Salesforce, right? 
and then at the end, you know, after, you know, clients join, we then have to allocate their money. So then there's like the investment committee and how do we allocate that money? So I can, there's data stuff that can be done all throughout there. For example, I've helped the investment committee do back tests on portfolios and stuff like that. So it really just started as me just being a data scientist and being really technical and working throughout the organization. And then how, how I got into the COO role, I was basically talking to, you know, the C CEO, kind of like how Kara was, and she was just like having a chat and then I was like, Hey, you know, like. No, we don't have a COO. I think this is a role that I could fill because I'm one of the few people in the organization who really works with everyone. I really do work with everyone across the organization, I work with operations, work with trading, work with the content creators who are marketing side, work with, you know, the investment committee, everyone, you know, the advisors, every, every person in the firm I really do work with. So I was like, I'm one of the few people who actually has like a full view of what's going on, like across the entire firm. And so, you know, I think my technical skills really help for that. And because as RIAs are becoming more and more technologically advanced, having some sort of technical background is really helpful. So I think, I think we're going to start seeing more COOs with those types of technical backgrounds in the future, at, for, at least at those firms that are definitely more technologically, you know, advanced and using a lot more of these tools um, going forward. So that's kind of the, the short story of it, how I got there. I, you mentioned Heather Fortner. I, I touched base with her right at the beginning of, of, COVID and when everybody was sent home and I said, Hey, how's it going? She's now been promoted since to CEO. She's now running the firm completely, but she said, yeah, as COO, I'm, I'm the one that has my hand in every aspect of the firm. And so I'm just sort of leaving my calendar open every day to just sort of jump from, you know, as they all went remote, I can go help trading. <laughs> I can go help uh, client service. I can go help, you know, reporting in the data uh, analysts, et cetera. So that's the, you know, again, the COO role is just do a little bit of everything around here. So um, I love it. So that's always my favorite question um, is asking, you know, your personal backstory. Um, the role, the advisor track is always pretty straightforward, but as, as we, you both have said, you know, there's, there's a, a, so many different ways coming up the operations track into the C-suite. Um, there's a million different ways that you could have taken. So that's always my favorite. My second favorite is just to say, hey, in your words, and we've been talking about this a little bit already, but in your words, please describe uh, how your role as COO impacts the organization. So Nick, I'll go to you on this one first. How do you think your role affects the, the, the organization? Yeah, so I the analogy I like to use to think about the COO role is kind of like a ship. So if, you know, if using the ship analogy and CEO is the captain, they're the one saying, hey, I want to go that direction, right? That means that the advisors and the operations team are like the actual people doing the work, they're the ones interfacing with clients. And this, in the ship analogy, the ones rowing the boat forward, so to speak, they're putting in the energy, actually getting us where we need to go, because without them, we would be doing nothing, right? Um, you can think of like the CFOs, like making sure everyone's fed or something, right? Make sure everyone's comfortable on the boat, basically. And then what's the COO doing? And I think, you know, as, as you defined it, right, the CEO is really making sure that the boat gets where it gets to where it needs to go, right? Like we're, we're making sure the CEO's vision comes to life. So I'm trying to, the CEO says, hey, I want this to happen. And then I'm trying to make that happen, right? And so like using the ship analogy, once again, it's kind of like making more efficient oars, right? So that's, uh, every oar is like 10% more efficient. So it takes 10% less energy to move forward. You know, that's, that's one way a CEO could help. Or if I'm making sure everyone's rowing in the same direction or at the same time, coming up with a process or a procedure that's not wasting time, you know, within the system, that's another way in which you can kind of make things more efficient for the company. So I kind of think of it like that. That's kind of the, the way I would define the COO role. That's great. So Kara, in your words, how do you define the role? Um, so me personally, I know everyone kind of has, it. it's a little different from every COO, but um, I kind of define mine as twofold. It's uh, bridging relationships and also finding solutions. 
Um, so when it comes to upper level management, a lot of companies, um, people will have this level of respect or intimidation really even, especially from newer or younger employees that makes them hesitant to approach management. Um, but from day one, I'm always trying to be as approachable and as open as possible, um, open calendar, open door. Um, and I, I feel like people are more comfortable. I think that vulnerability that I have with them helps them, they have a means to talk to a board member and an owner of the company and without the intimidation they feel with others. Um, th this intimidation is common, but I really enjoy removing those barriers and just um, being open and creating that opportunity for people. And on the other side, um, I really do feel like finding solutions is a big part of it. Um, a lot of people can recognize the problem, but finding the right solution can be more difficult. Um, when someone brings me a problem, I actually get really excited about it because it's a way I feel like this is an opportunity to improve. Um, in fact, one of our core values is driven to improve, and it is my favorite core value because I always think there's a better way to do something. There's always something else out there, and I love going outside of our organization, finding ways to do something and bringing it back in. I'm not a visionary myself. I'm not even a creator, really. But I like finding solutions that are already created, adapting them to our organization, and then using them to improve Caps Out. Um, for example, like when I think of when we started to see the industry moving away, as we were just talking about compensation, we saw the industry moving away from just a strictly commission-based structure for advisors to, um, you know, a, a salary plus bonus pool type structure. So um, we were also working in teams, and honestly, the commission-based structure did not incentivize teamwork. So we knew there was a problem that had to be fixed. So I did what I do best. I went out to someone. I found someone from my study group, Python. And um, she was just years and years ahead of me, you know, her Stacy McKinnon, and she gave me a framework to work with. So I took that and I poured hours and hours into it to make it to something that would fit within our structure. Um, I'm also an Excel nerd. I love Excel. Um, and with the help of our president, we moved to a salary plus bonus full structure over a period of two years. And we feel like it really does incentivize the teamwork that we really want to promote at Cap South. That's great. Um, so 2020 was just such a you can say it was a survival year, right? Let's just <laughs> let's just stay alive, and and we're hoping 2021 is going to be. More. I'll go to you first on this one. What again? Hoping we're we're out of survival mode and into you know normal normalcy. What's your biggest initiative for 2021? Uh, yeah. So for 2021, um, the video cut. Oh, sorry. Uh, for 2021, yeah. Uh, for 2021, uh, our big initiatives. We have two big initiatives we want to do. Uh, the first one is to really focus on training because for us, um, 2020 was actually a pretty good year despite all the craziness you know of remote and COVID and everything um, because a lot of attention was directed to financial media so like my blog had record views like all my colleagues had record views on blogs podcasts all the downloads all that type of stuff so um, as a result of that like we just we really need to as we grew a lot we really needed to focus on training and so we really we changed a bunch of processes we try to make things more efficient and at the same time this year we're really focusing on training so our head of execution at our firm uh, she's right now is working on building out training curriculum i'm trying to help her with that um, whether that's you know rwm specific training or whether that's training to training for like salesforce or crm things like that so that's one of our big initiatives this year is to really just scale up everyone and make sure we're all on the same page. As I said, make sure we're all rowing in the same direction as I think about it. Um, in addition to that, um, I think the other big initiative we have this year is growing our, our robo platform. So as I spoke about earlier, Liftoff, um, I think so last year, I think it had about $10 million in assets and we've been doing it for a couple of years, you know, working on it, but not really, wasn't really a big priority we had, we had worked on. But now this year, we've definitely kicked that up. And so we're almost at 20 now and our growth rate 
we're, we're, we want to get to 50 by end of year, but it's looking closer, maybe 35 right now, but we'll see. We're trying to just really push forth on that. And, you know, it's not like the most profitable segment right now, like in the next quarter to focus on, you know, some of your smaller clients, but we know like over the long term, this is the right thing to do. And it's really focusing on our clients of the future and the people that are reaching out to us now and joining us on liftoff and with, you know, doing all the stuff with robo, those are the people that are going to be our full-time wealth management clients, you know, 10, 20 years from now. And so we know that. And so for us, a big push is not to think about like, Oh, there's, we still always say, Oh, there's a kind of a minimum to join us. And we kind of had this robo, but now it's like, no, there's no more talk of that. Like there's, no minimum it's any one of these people can become our clients you know and we're really focusing on that going forward so i think that's also because we're focusing more on things like youtube and other channels that do cater to younger audiences who happen to have less assets people like myself right so i think that's kind of our two big initiatives this year is just training just scaling up helping everyone build better skills and then growing the robo platform because i think those that's where the clients are coming for the future that's great and so, Kara, what, what are you most focused on for, for this year going forward? Yeah, well, um, Nick, I can second that with training. We're definitely going to have to focus on that more. We've realized that. But we're actually, uh, right now, really focused on efficiency. I'm unofficially calling it the year of efficiency for us. So the president and I started this initiative this year to really eliminate inefficiencies in our business. Um, I mentioned that we do some extensive financial estate and tax planning. Um, but as we customize our product more, it is less replicable and scalable in a lot of ways. So. Um, we do have some really impressive spreadsheets out there, but they require a lot of knowledge and um, and it's very time consuming and prone to errors. So our goal this year is just to get rid of every spreadsheet and find software to replicate those manual processes. Uh, we started right now with just one on one meetings with each employee to ask, you know, what slows them down? What manual spreadsheets are they using and what takes the most time? It's actually really enlightening as we're meeting with these people, especially when you meet with multiple people in the same role, you start to hear some common themes of what is really taking a lot of time or what is uh, becoming a roadblock in what they're trying to do. And so we're able to kind of focus on those things and find ways of um, ultimately we just want to, you know, optimize each person's effectiveness. So we're just in the data gathering phase right now. But by the end of the year, we're hoping to have gotten enough data to pinpoint areas of improvement and find new software and just cut down on manual processes. Perfect. So we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. There's it's really the, the COO role, especially in the RIA industry. This whole idea of professional management is a little bit new to, to the industry. Um, there, it, it's just a blank canvas and you're kind of making it up as you, as you go along. So what have you both of you done to educate yourself in this role? Are there any books you've read or uh, any study groups you've joined? Um, I'll, I'll throw it to, to Kara first. You had mentioned hyphen. Um, what, what else have you, have you done, Kara? Um, well, I'd have to say Hyphon is one of the main things. It's really been instrumental in shaping me just because it's, it's grown so much. And like I said earlier, the first thing I did was uh, Google and I came up with podcasts. And so, um, the first <laughs> podcast I think was, uh, Kitsis podcast with Sean Kapusinski of Hyphon. And that's where I found it. And honestly, the collaboration and openness in that group is like none that I've ever seen. Uh, and there's um, there's a discussion board where you can post questions and topics and people will jump in with their either advice or just sometimes saying, hey, I'm in the same spot. Let's talk about it. Um, there's a document archive that alone is worth the annual fee. Um, and then most importantly, it's just the willingness to talk and help each other. It's honestly the reason I'm here today. It was a relationship that I built through Hyphon that ultimately introduced me to you, Matt, and that's why I'm here. Um, outside of Hyphon, uh, like I said, podcasts. I, I really love listening to podcasts. Your podcasts and other podcasts 
Um, and then there's the people I hear when I hear a, a, a voice that really resounds with me, I'll start following those people. Like I've mentioned Stacey McKinnon already, and she's one of those people that I, I will follow her. I feel like she has a really strong voice in the RA operation space. And she's a huge, a huge advocate for employees. So um, I'll listen to anything she says. Um, and like I said, with, with the Kids' podcast, anybody I can find who is in the operation space. Um, I'd, I'd read some books, but I feel like I get a lot more from those um, those podcasts. Uh, it was actually kind of a funny story about uh, Sean. When I first went to my first conference, which is Insiders Forum, which is also very useful, um, I was actually standing in line behind Sean and the cashier, and I heard his voice and thought, that's the guy that started my study group and told my coworker. And um, she, of course, encouraged me, hey, introduce yourself. And that time, I idolized people like him and Heather Ford, and I felt like they're just this little baby in the industry, and I was terrified to introduce myself. Um, and in case you're wondering, no, I did not introduce myself. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, we are past that. Um, I know Sean now, and um, just the other day, I had a call with him. So I've been able to move past that, and it's relationships like that that have really just um, built me up and to educate me where I am today. Perfect. Yeah, it's a, it's a good the operation side of our industries. It's, it's a great community. So um, everybody's always open to, to people reaching out and asking for best practices and things. Um, Nick, what have you turned to for, for self-education in this in this role of, as COO? Yeah, so before I was a COO, it's funny enough, I read a book called How to Be a Chief Operating Officer. So I was just a data scientist, but um, that book is by I think Jennifer Geary. And so I read her book and it's not really for the RIA space or finance, but I just, I was reading about it and I was like, wow, this is like a role I could really go into. Like I, I first did some research online and I read her book and that's what really kind of motivated me to actually apply for the position and say like, hey, I know no one's in this role. And so that was like one of the first big stepping stones for me. And then after that, and I promise, so uh, Karen and I did not work on our answers together. I swear she just said, so I, I was going to mention Hyphen as well, because I'm part of Hyphen as well. So High Impact uh, Financial Operations Network, that's helped. Uh, it's been interesting to you know hear other people's perspectives. Everyone's been really helpful there. So that's been a big piece. And I, I'm telling you, we did not coordinate this at all. But Stacey McKinnon um, at Morgan Capital is actually like one of my mentors. And so I've actually called her and we've had a couple conversations. Um, just one-on-one -on -one where she's where I've said like, hey, like we're going through this process, and can you give some insight on that? And you know, is this supposed to take this many steps? She's like, actually, ours takes even more steps. So like, you guys must have something else. So it's funny, like just hearing that and getting like verification from someone who's you know obviously more established and knows the industry better. So for me, it's really you know, it's like network talking to people. It's you know, books that I've read, you know, and then lastly, I mean, honestly, the COO roundtable has been a huge resource for me. Like once I was first in the role, like I remember when I first reached out to you, Matt, I was like, Hey, like I'm new to this role. Like I don't exactly know everything I'm doing, but I'm like really just trying to learn as much as I can. And so I like listened to mass, listen to episodes. I still have like an Excel file with like all of my notes for like the first like 20 episodes. That's I think where I was at the time. And I just mass took notes on everything. And so that's kind of how I found Stacey and a bunch of other people. But Anyways, yeah. So that's kind of the that's kind of how I did it. Is just trying to get you know as much information as I could, and you know this podcast has been really helpful for me to kind of learn about you know how everyone does it, and like oh wow, these people are going through the exact same thing I'm going through. Like I don't really keep a very busy calendar either, like because things just pop up, like inevitably they have to pop up. It's like oh this thing came up and I have to like solve that, and like happens all the time. So uh, but yeah, that's those are the resources I use. Perfect. So we'll do one more question and then uh, we'll open it up for for uh, for audience questions. Um, so this one's a, a, a tricky question that the COO role, you get into this kind of ironic situation where it's a, it's a behind the scenes role. And it's ironic because the harder you're working, 
the better you are at anticipating problems, they don't really become problems. And, and the, the harder you're working, you can get into a situation where the rest of the firm, uh, the employees and the, and the owners of the firm say, hey, that CEO's got a pretty easy job. <laughs> Nothing seems to really go wrong here. Um, and, and I know quite a few COOs that, that limp into their annual review. They're covered in sweat. They've been working like crazy all year. And, and the owner says, yeah, pretty easy year. Not, not too much uh, uh, happened. I didn't see anything on fire this year. Um, so how do you kind of balance that of, of you are behind the scenes. Our, our primary role really is to allow the, the advisors to just focus on their clients. Hey, you go do what you guys do best. We'll do what we do best. But then how do you, um, how do, you do that, uh, balance that with getting credit for all the, all the hard work you're doing? So Kara, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, what do you point to at the end of the year that, that, that highlights your success in this role? Um, sure, so I know, I, I agree. It's really hard to kind of put a metric on a COO role. There's not any, you know, you maybe throw a couple numbers out there, but it's really hard to just have some numbers to measure, hey, are you being successful or not? Um, so personally, I've kind of evaluated myself um, and I feel like my, it is my goal and my responsibility to develop and maintain our employee experience. So I'm responsible for, you know, the employee onboarding, uh, maintaining and improving technology and processes the employees use each day. Um, I have to provide encouragement and guidance and solve problems and remove obstacles and then um, simply just help them to be as, as effective as possible in their role. Um, I kind of think of it like our client experience, right? You put an emphasis on that because it can set you apart and make really loyal clients. I think the same goes for the employee experience. If employees can't use the technology efficiently or have inefficient processes that slow them down, or if they simply feel ignored or unheard, you're not gonna be able to compete in the talent marketplace for long, and you're not gonna have loyal employees. Um, so you constantly have to be assessing and improving that experience. And so that's what I kind of focus on. And I do that through employee surveys. Um, we use our HR vendor Paylocity, which is also really great for a lot of other things, but um, you can do surveys through there. So, um, and, and I really strongly believe in the power of giving people a voice, give them the chance to tell you what's going on with them. So, you know, do a monthly culture survey and a quarterly service standards survey. Um, we do all of these. And I use them to kind of pinpoint areas where we can improve and ultimately to measure my success. At the end of the day, um, I serve our employees the way our company serves the clients. So they are my clients. Um, it's our company purpose to challenge our clients to define and live their one best financial life. But it's my personal purpose to encourage and enable our employees to define and live their one best career life. And I feel like if they can do that, then they're going to be successful and Cap South is going to be successful. And ultimately, so am I. And that's how I measure my success, really. Yeah, I think uh, I've talked about on other episodes. Sometimes the advisors say, hey, COO, you don't deal with clients. And what you just said, no, no, I do. I have, I have plenty of clients. My clients are the employees of the firm. They're not the external clients, but I'm helping the employees. I'm removing the obstacles for the employees so that they can then serve the end clients. But I have plenty of uh, clients as the COO, absolutely. So I like that you said that. Um, so Nick, how do you balance being behind the scenes guy versus you know getting credit for all the hard work you're doing? Yeah, I think I'm very fortunate in the, in the sense that of the four founders of the firm, the original founders, three of the four are not client facing. So only one of them was an advisor. And so the other three are not. Because of that, I think they realize like all the work that goes into running an RIA. And it's not always just like, you know, the, the client facing people and the non-client facing people. So um, 
as a result, I don't think I need to have like that credit thrown on me in that sense. Um, I think for me, I kind of agree with what Kara's saying. It's like, as long as you're you know, doing everything right and you know trying to help people solve their problems and helping them be their best, that's the, that's the key there. And so I don't think it's the end of the year where they're like, oh, you know, our COO is not doing anything or oh, our COO is not revenue producing. So like, I don't think they look at the world that way, um, which is a great thing for me. So it's very fortunate. So I always, I mean, how I judge myself is like, when someone asks me to do something, like how effectively do I get it done, right? Do I get it done? Do I not get it done? All right, that's the type of thing. And right, and what things can we do? What things can we not do? And so for me, I'm always just trying to judge myself on, you know, trying to figure out how well um, I'm executing on other people's, you know, fixing other people's problems, basically. And that's it. So like I, people say, you know, how many bosses do you have? I'm like, I have all of everyone's my boss. When someone says, hey, I need this done, I just get it done. Like, I don't have to stay here. And like, that's kind of how I think about it through like servant leadership type thing. That's kind of the way I view my role is trying to help everyone to be better. And so I don't think I need that recognition when the firm's doing well, that is the recognition itself that, you know, everything's moving forward. You know, we're still moving in the same direction, basically. So that's great. Uh, so I will uh, we'll open it up to, to questions. I think um, they're just going to pipe them through. Yes. Um, do you hear me, Matt? Yes. Great. So the first question is, did your firms implement any new initiatives during the pandemic that you plan to keep long term? Kara, I'll let you go first. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't think we really initiated any, any new initiatives. However, it did change some things. Uh, before the pandemic, we did have like a one remote, fully remote employee, an advisor in another state. Um, but I think what the pandemic did for us was broaden that into um, enabling us to actually um, retain other employees that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So, so some employees have issues with childcare, or um, they they need some flexibility in their hours. They can't just work in the office eight to five. So because of the pandemic, we realized that we can trust people to work from home. They can work remotely. We can all work remotely. The level of trust across the organization, I think, has increased. And now we've got employees in three employees that are in states where we don't even have offices. And it's all because we have been able to broaden that idea and trust each other. And I think it's because of the pandemic and that's gonna go forward into the future, absolutely. Great. We had another question, um, and it's how do you manage trading, internal traders, or any outsourcing? What is your total FTE in trading departments? Nick, we'll let you do that one. Sure. So uh, we have two. We have a, a director of trading, and then uh, we actually have one other trader. So two traders within the firm, um, and they do everything internally. And honestly, of, of all the areas I know, that's the area I actually know the least about because they just do it so well that we just don't have issues. Um, like we obviously use some software for that, but we don't outsource anything like that. So that's, I mean, I, I wish I could expound on that more, but I just don't know as much about uh, the ins and outs of how we do trading. Okay, great. Kara, and the final question. Stab? I don't know that I'll be much helpful either, just because like I mentioned, our relationship with United Capital, we outsource okay. the majority of our trading to them. So we do have some internal trading, but um, the advisors, their advisor managed and they mostly handle that themselves. Okay. okay, great. We have one last question and it's, what are the main technology challenges your firm faces? That's a good one. Um, Kara, we'll go to you first on that one. Okay. That's a good one. Sure. <clears throat> 
Sure. Um, technology challenges for us are integrating all the different pieces of technology. I feel like we've got some great pieces. We use Salesforce as well, and I'm actually becoming an, a light admin and learning more and more how to customize it. But when it comes to integrate all the pieces of technology, that seems to be the most difficult. Um, I, I want to get Salesforce integrated all the way into Schwab so that we're entering data one time and never entering it again. It's not there yet. Um, and we've got some great we got some great integration through United Capital that goes all into the way into the client portal. But then there are always little glitches between you know Money Guide Pro and the client portal. And and there's just things like that's where I feel like the hardest thing is getting a one-stop integrated shop. This is something that's come up in our um, Hyphon group recently. Of there's no well I think there's maybe one out there, but for the most part there's not really a place where there's one-stop shop where you can get your your statements, get your, um, you know, enter a request that's going to go back to the CRM. Um, there's just not that place, there's that portal. So I feel like the the technology pieces, getting them all in place and then getting them all to talk to each other is, uh, that's the hardest part for me. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I think Nick, for this us- this is an it's important important. one, I'll let you opine on this one too. Yeah, yeah. so I, I would say it's the same thing for us as well. It's like everything's about, you know, getting systems to talk to each other and so, our stack is pretty good right now. So we're using uh, Salesforce as our main CRM, but we use Orion for all like the reporting, the client portal and all that. And Orion's building a lot of stuff. So Orion even has advisor now, which is like an intake for prospects to get information in once, but still, you know, it's not just like once that comes in, we can sync all of that to Salesforce. We can sync a good amount of stuff, but not everything, right? So it's like, it's still a process of getting everything to talk to each other. Um, we're getting better at it, but I think this is going to be the, the big challenge going forward for all RAs, even as technical as I am, like I'm still not at the level where I can fully understand every type of API out there and make them all like, you know, it's still like, there's just like, there's levels of technicality and they get like, I think it's like logarithm jumps harder as you go up the scale. And so even for me, who I feel like I'm pretty technically advanced, I'm like, I have no idea how to make these two things work and I have to talk to this development team and this development team and get them to work together. And that can be, you know, always a challenge, right? Um, I think, yeah, I would say, I would say that's it. Cause in the future, I, I, I would be ideal if I could just have one location where someone, you know, as Kara was saying, they put in information once and I never have to enter it again. We shouldn't have to verify a social security number, you know, seven different times, or if it gets messed up one place, now the whole application's messed up and it just creates all sorts of headaches later. Right. So it's about how do you get data, data integrity and then also just make it easy too. So I think, I think someone's going to solve that, I hope, but you know, maybe it'll take longer than we think. It's it's uh, the number one question I get as just as a as a consultant is in is about integration and I think it's that's the most popular blog post we've ever written. It was called "Integratable does not necessarily mean integrated" because all of the technology vendors say, "Hey, we're integratable with everything," <laughs> but getting it to actually be integrated uh, is is another story. It's possible, but it, it does take a lot of work. And it and you know I'm obviously biased, but it I think it does take a dedicated. Uh, director of operations, COO, whatever you you do need somebody that that's that's their their primary focus. So um, this has been a lot of fun. We're we're right up on time. We timed it perfectly. So I want to thank both Kara and Nick for for being here and and sharing your expertise. I think everybody learned a lot from both of you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure to be here and um, great to see you both. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it, man, Kara. Awesome. Thank Back you to the to Mercer everyone. team. Thanks.